Hello and welcome back to the Empire of the Cop podcast. We've got Peter Kenny Jones here today. I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling. We've got a special guest here, the Redman TV's Paul Machin. Paul, how are you doing? Yeah, very good. I was trying to work it out. I think it's been 12 years since I was on the Empire of the Cop podcast. It was a very, very, very early days of what we were doing. So yeah, long-awaited return. Oof, a, di- a different lineup as well, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Infamously... I mean, it was a it was a guy called um, Ben Carr, Doctor Benji, who's gone on to be one of the the preeminent football manager streamers, who was the host back back in those days. So what I'm saying, it's a very good breeding ground for success. Is the Empire of Cop podcast? That'll be music uh, to Peter myself's ears. Um, certainly, day, yeah. we, we, well, yes. I mean, Empire wasn't <laughs> the only one to change their lineup, though. Of course, because Jurgen Klopp um, experimented a little bit himself uh, in the one 0 FA Cup replay win over Wolves, and what an improvement in performance um, that was. And, and speaking of which, uh, I, I mean, firstly, Paul, I just want to get your your general thoughts from that game because I think it's fair to say, even if it wasn't our best performance of all time, the, the the difference was absolutely significant. Yeah, it, it felt like a, a like Liverpool again. Um and, and not in the way that I think people people go on about Klopp and they go on about like heavy metal football gets used far too much um as an idea and a concept or what have you. The Liverpool, the really good Jürgen Klopp Liverpool were just very, very difficult to beat. They just wear you down, they tie you out, they'd, they'd figure you out, you wouldn't be able to breathe, you couldn't get out, you couldn't pass. And, you know, this wasn't true vintage of that, but it certainly was more akin to it than I think we've seen, uh, certainly in the last few weeks. And yeah, just an ex- as an extension of that, I, I think obviously the most interesting part for me was were, were, were the additions of Naby Keita and uh, I, I may butcher his surname but Stefan, Stefan Bacetic, um who I think you know just for an 18 year old I mean just doesn't look 18 does he it was a phenomenal performance for a player of his age uh, you know obviously we, we, we've seen the warning signs of Harvey Elliott in terms of not wanting to put too much pressure on a young lad's shoulders you know they should be there to develop we shouldn't be relying on them for our season, but obviously we're in a position where we know Jurgen Klopp historically loves to reward. You know, he's all about meritocracy. So you know, on that basis, and it seems insane to suggest, but should we really be seriously considering starting exactly the same midfield against Chelsea? I, I see no why not. I mean, I look. You're right. I think there's a temptation to get carried away and sometimes there's a temptation not to get carried away. You know, it's nice when you see a really good footballer come in and hold their own. You know, don't, you know, the great example I, I, I thought of, and I, I thought this after the Man City League Cup game with Pachetic, was Trent Alexander-Arnold coming in at Old Trafford and being fine, you know, just being a, 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 doing, a, doing a fine job at right back, but no one really was. Well, that's therefore he's going to become the best right back on, on the planet. But really good footballers take their experience, their experiences, and they have a little break, and then they come back, and they're much better players for it. And again, different levels uh, of opponent, different environments, of course. But yeah, Pachetta looked he looked far more ready in that Wolves game than he did a few weeks earlier. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting conundrum because Liverpool need another another DM. They need someone you know who can who can bare minimum rotate Fabinho, and if he's only that, I think that's a really huge step up for him and a very very um, a very very good prospect indeed. If he can do that, is it doesn't mean he has to start every game from here on in. Probably not, but it's nice. It, it's just nice to have the option. 
Yeah, I think yeah, carry on from that as well. Yeah, I, I agree. I think watching Bucetic and Thiago, it was just like watching two brothers when they're playing together. They just seem to know each other so well. And obviously, there's been a lot of the pictures shared online of the the dads playing together at Celta Vigo. And obviously, they must have um, they must have learned a lot because it, it seems to have stayed in the blood, doesn't it? Because them two just it was amazing. I, I think Klopp said afterwards, didn't he? He wasn't sure if Bucetic knew every time that he was turning the corner he was going to end up with a Wolves player on the backside behind him, but he kept trying it, and that's the, the confidence you like. You know, I think people like Keita, Curtis Jones, attacking midfielders, you almost forgive them once or twice giving the ball away because you, you need to take a chance and try and beat a man, make a pass. But for him to be doing that in the number six position, as you say, where if he makes a mistake, they can go and score. Obviously, everything goes right. It's unbelievable, but <laughs> you worry that maybe one goes wrong, so maybe Klopp may try and calm him down a bit, which maybe some fans won't be too happy with. But watching them too, and you've got to say Naby Keita as well, who, who's definitely got his fair share of critics, those three. Although they were a pretty much a totally new midfield together, but watching them, it just it looked like a totally different side, didn't it? And I think, yeah, there's no, I don't think anyone would be upset watching that same trio play against Chelsea. And I'm, I'm sure that's what Farrell said as well. Like so, um, but yeah, maybe if we look ahead to to Chelsea, and I know you've just touched on what we do with the midfield, but then maybe Nunes coming back and and Gakpo. Do you think Gakpo deserves it? Or not maybe it deserves, but should be given a chance to come off the bench and see what he does, or what you reckon Klopp does with the the front three? Paul Farrell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go on, yeah go I, I don't, I don't mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I think you're right. Nunes, what, his fitness will be huge on what we're doing. I think one of the little takeaway from that game was was Gakpo playing central, and I think a little bit of that was just out of necessity. But you know, actually, you know, if you really wanted stability, if the plan was to play Gakpo from the left consistently, they could have tried Carvalho central. Like they, they could have gone for that, you know. He's definitely got more career experience playing central than he has playing off the off the left and from three, and so I do wonder whether we got a little hint there of Gapo doing the, the closest approximation of Roberto Firmino, um, and we might therefore see a little bit more of that come to Chelsea. I'd, I hope so because I, I I just think Nunes is just uh, he's so electric off the wing, and he can get goals from there as well. That yeah, that's. I think that's a really interesting question the manager will be answering this week. Yeah, I think I'd, I know you know, I asked it, but yeah, I think I'd be happy to give Gakpo a chance to come off the bench. I think we were, I was saying before, we're a fan of them, you know, we, we watch Robertson and Fabinho be spending months on, on the bench and, and not even in the squad. And then, yeah, with Diaz and Gakpo, he seemed to maybe out of need more than what he wanted to do, but have to throw them straight in. So I think for Gakpo, it might be good to see, you know, come on against them, a tired defence, you know, the Thiago Silva's 42 or whatever old he is, so hopefully if you come at him and, and run at him in the second half, we might be able to see a new lease of life of, from him. I think the, the Fabio Cavallo question's an interesting one to pose, because I think one of maybe his last, second to last press conference, I think uh, Pierce asked the question, sort of being like, oh, why, aren't you, why aren't you selecting him? Like, you know, is there, is there an issue there? And I think Cop was very quick to kind of stamp any suggestion of wrongdoing out there? You said, "Look, it's trading fine. It's just purely, you know, a, a sporting decision." Um, like, do you reckon it's just merely the case, Paul? That um, you know, had we been enjoying, had we been enjoying a much sort of more successful season, we're higher up in the table, we'd have the room then to sort of experiment with it. Because I think the most interesting thing about Cavallo is they don't have a position pinned down for him yet. I think the long term is midfield, but he's been initially brought in. Uh, to, to supplement the forward line almost, even though he has 
offered minutes mainly on the left flank between uh, both uh, departments. Uh, do you think it's more just a waiting game almost for him, maybe more a, a case where we look back on this next season and they've got a better idea, perhaps he's bulked up a bit, um, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, Jürgen always says, you know, we, we've not bought a player for a year. We've bought him for the length of his contract and, and hopefully beyond. And and Carvalho's got something, I think. He's really got something. I, well, the issue he's got, and it's a similar issue to Harvey Elliott, and you mentioned it there a little bit, the, the bulk is a, is a bit of a thing. Um, it's not the be-all and end-all. You can be small and strong. You know, we've seen that with Thiago. You can see that with, with Naby Keita. Actually, he's, he's really gone up another level in the last 18 months in terms of his... I don't want to say his physicality. I don't mean his availability. I mean his physicality when he is available. Um, but Carvalho is an interesting one because I definitely think he's he's much more suited to being central. I thought he was a, a little move towards can we get he can he learn from Firmino and can he start to be the Firmino understood we've seen no signs of that yet but I, I I do think there's a general there was a general move to trying to get smaller more skillful more tricky players more like what Man City do you know where they, they had a that constant rotation of lads who can play both eights but can also play across the front three. I don't know whether we're backtracking a little bit on that because obviously, you know, Bellingham's a six footer, Nunes is a six footer, uh, Gapo is as well. And whether we're starting to move actually away from that and more towards, again, more bigger, larger physical specimens. But I hope not. I, I mean, I hope someone like Carvalho, I say he's got an eye for goal, he's got real talent there. He's broken his duck already. You know, he's already in the goals for us, which is a huge thing. So many players, you know, Promise so much and deliver so little at this club over the, in the Premier League era that I can remember. Um, but you're right; I think it might be one of those where he's just kind of got to find his feet this season, and then when Liverpool finds some stability, you'll find what he was bought for. Yeah, well, I think as you said, we've all been impressed. He had that long break out the side, didn't he? And then we came back against City, got the goal, and obviously we didn't end up progressing. But he thought, you know, this will be where he kicks on, and he did go missing for a bit, didn't he? But he took his chance again. I think he, he looked exciting. And in the options there, you said the B word, you said Jude Bellingham. So it's, it's your fault. We'll go over to uh, maybe Muddy Sides. <laughs> so there's a lot of worries that if you read everything and believe everything, Klopp's convinced him he's going to come to he's going to come to Anfield. But do we have the money? And then the money situation leads over to the ownership. So I know you've been quite vocal and, and people I think have been quite harsh on what you have said uh, but about Guitari owners maybe I know people might know your opinion already but they're obviously if there's a lot of links they seem to be getting stronger whether it's going to be a full sale or as, as we said James Pierce was reporting that it might just be a partial sale now it does look like a, a serious interest from Guitar. what do you what do you think of that basically I think we know your opinion but like, do you think it'll happen and do you think it should happen well, look, my opinion, just to clarify, just because it's worth clarifying, is I just want, you know, I just want good owners for Liverpool Football Club. I don't care where they're from. It's but but I what I do care about is Liverpool being a bit of a uh, being a plaything for someone, uh, and I also don't want it to be a, a sports washing front for for regimes that you know that have the ability to have a, a greater you know track records on human rights and you know and, and the rights of women and gay people and trans people and what have you this is not about individual ownership you know you can be from anywhere in the world and be a good person but when you're a, a regime that could change things for the better um and don't but would rather have 
you know, a football club be your vehicle to make yourself seem more cuddly and friendly. I'm not as I'm not as cool with that, to be perfectly honest. Um, and I don't think I, I can't speak for anyone but myself in that regard. But you know, the the ethos I was raised in this city, you know, the ethos we're taught is the core of what Liverpool Football Club is. That feels at odds with with how I was raised on that certainly. Um, yeah, I'm not as enamoured with the old, with all the transfer stuff. Is also my my thing on this. So I I just want. And Neil Atkinson from the rap was actually saying this again. He, you know, we did a podcast with him the other week, and he and I kind of agree with that statement. So I like Liverpool being able to be self-sustainable. I want, I want, a, I want an ownership that comes in and can maximise every aspect of Liverpool. But I don't want Liverpool. To, I don't want an ownership that has to reach into its pockets each and every season, every transfer window, and heap. You know, and it wouldn't be debt in the short term because obviously they've got bottomless funds and they've got to find a way to do that. But in reality, if they then go away and your business is sustained by people pouring hundreds and hundreds of millions of their own in each and every season, then you've not got a very good business. You've not got a sustainable business, and that's my that's my worry with it. I just want I want Liverpool to survive long after whoever the next custodians have decided they've had enough fit and move on. And that's the one thing I'd say on FSG is that. You know they can walk away tomorrow and not put another penny in because they haven't they've not really put any you know significant money in. There's a couple of loans here and there for the stadium exp- expansions and the training grounds, at a low cost. But they could walk away tomorrow in Liverpool. You'd never notice they were gone because Liverpool. I've got it all. All the money is generated within the football club and it's spent on the football club. Um, so look, it'll happen. In an ideal world, you know, you want as minimal kind of fuss as possible. You don't want any, you don't want it over overhanging the football operations. That's my worry about that as well. Has Liverpool got a lot to a lot to get back on track, and it's happening already. People are getting turned into him fighting and all that kind of stuff, which is really frustrating to be honest. Because you guys, I'm sure, you know, were old enough to remember, you know, the last takeover and the the problems and how how horrendously toxic that became. This is worse because it's exacerbated by the social media era. So yeah, I. I just want people to. I just. I, I hope it's sorted. I hope it's sorted as much behind closed doors as possible, and we just get told it. And it's the right. And the right people have had their say in it. So Spitter to Shankly gets away in and make sure that nothing untoward is happening because they are, as a collective, they're the fans' voice on the board. Um, and then we get football, a football-minded set of owners or, or owner who just wants Liverpool to be the best, but doesn't compromise everything that we we hold dear to ourselves. There you go. Short and sweet. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I mean, I have to start, I'm, I'm personally glad you brought up uh, Neil Atkinson. That was where I was going to lead the discussion uh, next. I, I mean, first, I have to note, of course, I think uh, Deloitte's uh, rich list has come out and Liverpool have finally leapfrogged at Manchester United and are third in the table behind Real Madrid and somehow Manchester City, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, but, I, I mean, looking specifically, I think... Neil Atkinson obviously wrote um, on his on his blog for the Anfield Rap, and he was talking about you know his owner ownership position was summed up um, as thus. Um, so basically, I ideally never want to think about Liverpool's owners. I never want to thank Liverpool's owners. I want all of us to be able to have as little to do with them as possible. I'm obviously we're in a position where it's almost all we can think about uh, because we're thinking about the future of this great club. We're, we're thinking about, you know, the, the horrible potential reality of a petro state and all the human rights abuses attached that might come with that. You know, no such thing as a good billionaire, of course, but as we know, there are levels. Um, 
it, it, it's a difficult one. I've, I mean, I've, I personally find it quite difficult. It's interesting from the sense of it's Liverpool, it's got to do with Liverpool and it's worth covering because of the potential ramifications and not, not just from a sporting sense, but also from in terms of reflecting the values of the city, which is absolutely critical. Um, but uh, to, to what extent, I suppose, has it almost overshadowed the season? We, we know that performance has been an issue. And I'm not at all suggesting that that is directly linked uh, to the ownership situation. Um, but in, in terms of a timeline, how, how soon realistically do Liverpool need to get this situation sorted so we can purely focus, of course, on the football going forward? Yeah, I mean, again, it depends. It boils down to transfer spends, doesn't it? And obviously, people are. I think people, most of people's fears are stem around Liverpool not being able to buy the players required to keep them competing at the top of the game. Um, and my my hope, and it is only a hope, and it's not to do with anything other than seeing Liverpool stay as a, as a challenging team, is that as a I'm, I'm a business owner on a much 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 smaller scale, but. You know, you want to maintain the value of your business. There's no, if you, particularly if you're selling it, you know, I think, I think it would clear things up if it was done sooner rather than later. But I also think if you rush things, you end up in, you end up in just as bad a situation. So there's a nice fine balance to be struck there. But to the point of the current owners, there's no value in them to shrink the size of their asset. So they'll probably want to get out before you have to go and dip into like a 200 million pound odd war chest, I would guess. You know, is what will be required to to get Liverpool the midfielders they require in, in the summer, if not before. But at the same time, it's a bit of a drop in the ocean when you're selling things for billions, and you, you're talking about a three billion potential three billion pound profit, a couple hundred million really on the level that those kind of people operate shouldn't make a, a huge amount of difference to Liverpool and what they're doing. Um, and again, it goes back to the happiness of the manager. If you, if, if Jurgen Klopp is being promised things and they're not delivered on, his position becomes more difficult as he look to move on and then try selling Liverpool where they're not in the Champions League and they've not got the right manager. Um, that's So, yeah, I, I, hopefully it means that there should be more stability, I think, than people think. But I think from everyone's perspective and I think from a fan's perspective, the, the chat about it's so boring and it's just so it's so annoying that it has to be a topic of conversation because it's I just don't, yeah, it, it, we should just be talking about the footy. Rather than the owners, it's 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 a nightmare that other people have made for us. You said Bellingham; it was your fault. No, <laughs> 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 no I already messed with Terry. Well, if they should be able to buy you Bellingham, they should be able to. Yeah. there's no reason why yeah. they shouldn't be able to because they've gone in the market previously and bought above, you know, paid well above the other. They've broken the rec transfer records for goalkeepers and centre halves in the past. Why would you not break it for the midfielder if if the if the opportunity's there? They've no they've spent the money when it's been there. And sometimes you do need to spend above and beyond your net spend. Ideally, you create a, a self-replicating system where you do you sell and buy. That's how the Chelsea have done that in recent years. They've changed that and they've been okay with it. Even City don't go too mad on transfer on transfer fees. It's all the hush hush wages and signing on fees and agent fees and dad fees that they where their money goes, uh, allegedly. Um so but Liverpool should, you know, with Liverpool, but they need to jump start it. They need to jumpstart that 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 sustainability again because of, because of too many valued players going out on free transfers, which was a again a necessary knock on. But the Bellingham stuff, whatever he, he wants to play for Liverpool, we should be able to afford them. It's just whether we're still the enticing prospect come the end of the season. I mean, so not to bring up the annoying topic, topic. yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, not to bring up the annoying topic again, but you know, we bring up ownership. 
And obviously, if, if you're looking into all the various components that make up the value of the club, one of the main components of that is the squad and the quality of the squad that you've got available to select from. And, you know, though you you might think, right, 130 odd million that has been reported by various reliable sources, that's a £130 million player you've got in your squad. Anytime FSG are looking for investments or for another owner to come in, you're saying this is this squad plus an £130 million player that's going to produce value for at least the next 10 years or, God forbid, get sold on to Madrid or whatever, it, it, depending on where the player views the pinnacle of his career being. Um, I, mean, I mean, it's obviously all academic at this stage. We don't have the player, but it, it's a consideration, I think. Sorry to yeah. interrupt, Pete. <laughs> no, nope, nope, that's fine. Well, that, that's it. it. It all comes down to yes or no, will we sign him? And I think there's a lot of other things that can happen. I do agree with Paul. It, it's much more important what happens against Chelsea on Saturday than what happens in the summer at the moment. But, you know, the questions are there because we could be losing Naby Keita, Oxley Chamberlain, Arthur Mello, if he still exists, and possibly James Milner. They're still not sure if he's going to get a new contract. So it seems impossible that we can't at least sign one or two midfielders. And if it is to be the big name, Bellingham, then of course a lot of people will be excited. But as Paul said, it depends on where we are. You know, I know there's been talk of it doesn't really matter if we're in the Champions League or not, but if we come 10th, it's not going to help us convince anyone to come and play for us, is it? But the best way to convince them is by beating Chelsea 5-0 on Saturday, I think, isn't it? So, But yeah, we ask you, before we touch on maybe why you came on, but just ask you the yes or no question we seem to be asking everyone recently. Do you think we'll sign them, yes or no? And we yeah. off the subject. Yeah, no, I do. I, I, I really do. I, I, it's just, I do, it's a general feeling. There's nothing, there's nothing more to it than that, to be perfectly honest, is that it seems like a lad, he's got his head screwed on. His family seems to be a good set of influences around them. And I agree that maybe the, look, the project might become unappealing. That's the thing I think that would upset this. Um, if all of a sudden he's, you know, you thinking, well, I could go somewhere else. I just, I just think in terms of his progression, I think Real, I don't think Real Madrid are going anywhere. I think Real Madrid are always going to be Real Madrid, you know. Yeah, I, but I don't think you can go from Real Madrid to Liverpool. I think you know, unless you've somehow, I think you know, because we don't buy their top players off them. Players leave Real Madrid because they've not quite fulfilled that potential, and you can then go and get someone and reboot them. I think like um, Iron Robin's a great example of that at Bayern, but. I think you can go, you know, you can come and do Liverpool. You might love it and stay for the rest of your career. Or you might decide a few years down the line, you know what, I will go and try what Madrid looks like. But I think that's the that's the only order in which that can happen. So if he really likes Liverpool and he really likes Jürgen Klopp, then the only chance he's going to get is is, is this summer. Right, you ready to hear first? <laughs> that's a yes, 100%. <laughs> I mean, just lastly before we move on, I mean... I suppose the question is now is whether, I mean, Klopp sort of come out and said that realistically we're not going to see any more signings in January. It's dependent on a load of factors that, um, that every Liverpool fan is already more than well aware of. They've seen the press conferences, uh, they've seen Jürgen Klopp biting at Karl Marx. Um, do, you, do you think that a signing in January is realistic? Could you see something popping out of the woodwork or do you just kind of take uh, what the manager says and goes, We've got the squad that we've got. Let's just use no. what we've got. Uh, yeah, no. Look, Jürgen gets frustrated because he gets bored of repeating the same, you know, question and answer thing over and over again. Every transfer window ad nauseum, and people are reading that as exacerbation with Liverpool's transfer policy. He's just he's a, he's a realist. He accepts the situation of what he, of what he's in. 
he will always say, I'll, you know, I work with what I've got because that's what you've got. You've got what you've got. You don't want to be right. Like, oh, these guys are useless pricks. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah, no, we'll be getting them. I'll choose but You finish training, well, hey, guys, how's it going? Right, I really want you to run really hard for me this week so it hurts. Is that, how's that sound? Well, no, actually, yeah, again, I think I won't. Um, but he's always said, you know, if, if a deal is, you know, if the deal comes around at the right price and, and it's the right player and it's someone Liverpool want, they'll get them. I think they will. Um, and we saw that. And we saw that last January. I mean, we were we had Neil Neil Jones in with us doing our Jano Insight show. Oh no, nah, no signings, no signings. And like an hour later, he, he he texts me a little Colombian flag, and I was like, oh Neil, you know, <laughs> and, and, and and there you go. There's Luis Diaz is, is is basically getting done, and then you know we nearly got Fabio Carvalho in under the you know under the under the door. As well, you know, right before the end of the transfer window. So, to mix my housing metaphors ever so slightly there. Um, the, so, yeah, I, I think the problem is is that Jude Bellingham is a £130 million player in January. He might be that in summer, but he also might not be. You know, he might be a slightly cheaper player in summer. I know people don't think that's a thing, but it is. Like Enzo Fernandez right now is a £130 million player because that's his release clause. You know, if someone's desperate to play it, they're desperate to play it. I mean, there was a point when Danielson played for Betis and he had like a, a release clause that would have closed the Spanish bank to be able to pay it off. And the reason is, is you do that because people are not meant to pay release clauses. They're not, you know, that most of the time they are beyond reach. Um, and it's meant to stave off football clubs. So, you know, if, if somebody they really like becomes available, then they'll go for it. The best example of this really is. Jürgen Klopp at Blackburn, I think it was, away, saying Danny Ward's our number one. Um, and then within 24 hours, we signed Allison because it just so happened that the, the, it became un, you know unblocked. Uh, uh, the fee became more palatable. And they went, OK, yeah, that's the point at which we which we deal. And that can always happen with Liverpool. I just wouldn't hold my breath. Yeah. Well, that's it. I think that's what we enjoy, isn't it? The fact that they are always... They can go and get that deal, isn't it? And you're just waiting for Paul Joyce to say, we're going to sign this person. And then you get excited because 20 minutes later it happens, doesn't it? But So, yeah, that's the subject of owners and, and signings sorted. Obviously, we know you're um, Redmen TV. You do a lot of good work there. And obviously, you know, there's no rivalries amongst all of us. We've, we've spoken about the Anfield rap as well. It's nice to see we're all friends. Um, <laughs> talk about you've you've done your recent series and, and Liverpool debuts. Obviously, we've seen there's like the likes of Carragher and... Um, Phil Thompson's already coming up um, and that you've had on. Just saying, you know, how did that come about? Who was the best person to interview and like, uh, what What have you been surprised by? Anything you want to talk about, really? Yeah, yeah. No, thanks for that. It was so, when Steve Hall came to work for us last year, we, you know, we'd done our Henderson documentary the year before and we'd done a book around it and I said, I kind of like that notion of go and interview people, gather stuff and then we can make it a multimedia sort of experience. We can do documentaries, we can do podcasts and maybe we can try and get a book out of it in the, in the back end as well. And, and he said, well, I've got this idea for Liverpool debuts. And what one thing I've found is that, you know, footballers, you, you can, they've got these whole careers and they're all fascinating. But I like what I really like is drilling down into small moments. And the debut thing was a really great unifier because there's loads of people, there's loads more people who've made their debuts for Liverpool than there are who've lifted the European Cup, you know, or you have know, scored a winning goal in an FA Cup final and, and so on. So, but we it's the dream, I think, that every Liverpool fan, if they've not had, they should have. We all wanted, at some point in our lives, to be able to pull on that red shirt, touch the This Is Anfield sign and, and run out in front of, you know, forty-five to 55,000 uh, screaming fans and go and do the business for our 
for the club that we all adore. So yeah, getting to speak to people and going out and, and, and going through a wide range. So obviously we've got the stars in there. You got Jamie Carragher, who's obviously far more my my sort of era. But on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Phil Thompson there as well. There's, there's two you know scouts centre backs for Liverpool. Both won the European Cups. One of them's lifted the European Cup. Um, you've got Scrabblers in there as well. And then in the midst, in the middle of that, we've got a couple of sort of other other different approaches to it. So you've got Neil Mellor. And then you've got uh, Jim Beglin as well, who both had like really interesting but quite short careers for different for different reasons. And then Martin Kelly was another one who was just came up in a great little crop of uh, of young of young talents around that time off the back of the team that won the, the Liverpool Youth Cup. Um, so yeah, getting to hear their takes on it was really 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 interesting because it, it doesn't get people again it gets glossed over you play for Liverpool and then you talk about your big game it doesn't often get spelt out like what it's like I mean Jamie Carragher scored on his, his debut um, Martin Kelly had, had a couple of really really good cameos early on in, into his um, and so on so forth so yeah so we've had, we, took, we took those interviews which we conducted over the space of about a year or so uh, and then uh, our production team have really gone to town on it and really blown it out and worked on the like the more cultural side of it. So what was Liverpool like at the time? What was it like to be around the city? You know, find a lot of archive photos and, and kind of backup materials to really get a feel for like, not just their story, but what it was like to be a Liverpool fan at that time, what it was like to be from the city. Um, and then we got um, Mark Morrigan to... Um, to come and do the voiceover for it as well, who I used to love on he was on Dream Team and he was in um he was in Brookside of course, but a young parents will know him as the more recent voice of Thomas the Tank Engine. Um so yeah it was good. It was a good it was a good experience all around. Lovely stuff. I, I think um just extending from that, because I mean it sounds like such a comprehensive um viewing experience. So definitely um keep an eye out for that. Um what what's any exciting projects uh, Redmond have got uh, coming up that you'd like to talk about? Yeah, so we're, we're going through a little bit of a period of, uh, of change and stuff. So this is our oh, 13th, it'll be 13 years on YouTube this summer. Um, it's longer Oof. than that since we first started developing the concept. Yeah, I know. Um, not so much younger, man. Um, <laughs> since we started developing the concept and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's been closer to 15 since it was a really first, first kind of, you know, at the genus of it. Um, so, yeah, we, we, you know, we've been in a fortunate position where we've been able to grow and take new people on. And we've got loads of new sort of faces in front of the camera now. So it's not it's not just me and Chris anymore. We've got Steve Hall, we've got Chloe Blocks and we've got Dan Club, Steve Plunkett um, and, and, and Errol Smith. And, and so and we've got, you know, more contributors around that. So we're trying to make sure that we gear the content up. So we've, we've now got a, we've got a squad for the first time. So it's not just a case of us all having to, Oh, wait, you know, it's not the, the, the days of the dream of the dream of a team of Carragher's kind of moments are over. You know, we've actually got specialists for a variety of things. So, yeah, we've, we've got a bunch of new content coming out, refreshing some of the old stuff, bringing some of the old stuff back. So, you know, we, we brought the old uh, studio couches back from from them from their from their storage, which we which have been kept safe for many a year. And um, yeah, no good. And we've got another. I can't really talk too much about it at the moment because it's only early days. But we've got a new YouTube series coming out, um, which I'm very very excited around. Which we're doing some behind the scenes stuff. On Friday, so not good. It's exciting. You'd think I'd be really bored of it by now, um, but uh, I'm, bo- I'm bored of people being bo- being annoyed with how bad it is when I've seen it be infinitely worse. Um, but actually, in terms of the passion for doing content around Liverpool, it's we're, we're making I think some of the best stuff we've ever done, and I'm really excited around the stuff that's going to come between now and the end of the season. 
Yeah, I've seen you've had some good author chats on there as well. Yeah, one or two. One or two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, Bill, it's been absolutely lovely having you on, Paul, and we'll certainly make sure to keep an eye out for all the, the latest content coming out for Redmond TV, including, including rather, uh, your Liverpool debuts. Uh, but this has been the Empire of the Cop podcast. We've had Peter Kenny-Jones, I've been your host, Farrell Keeling, and we've had the lovely Paul Machin from Redmond TV. Take care, everyone.